Amen. You can take your seats. Hi, everyone. If, you don't, if I don't know you, my name's Kyle, and I'm also one of the members here. And it's a great joy to be with you and have a chance to open up Psalm 16 with you. I want to start by asking you to think of a time when life was hard for you. It might be something you're going through right now, or it might be something you've experienced in the past. How did you respond to that situation? Well, if you're a teenager here tonight, your, your stage of life is, is full of challenges. There's the pressure of trying to fit in, concerns about whether or not people will like you, worries about your appearance, some of you feel stressed out by exams and anxious about what to do with your life. Some of you will experience bullying. And if you're an adult, there's, there's more to add to that list, isn't there? You may have experienced loneliness, illness, financial worries, the challenge of parenting, or a difficult environment at work. How do you respond to these situations? What do you do about it? Well, we often find ourselves responding to difficult situations by trying to distract ourselves or, or trying really hard to make ourselves happy. So we go for a run, we listen to some music, see some friends, eat some good food, binge watch some TV. We want to find some happiness and comfort in difficult times, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think what ends up happening is, is that we spend our lives trying to find happiness in things that can't really fix our problems and can't really make us happy. Most TV or YouTube adverts promise that stuff can make us happy, don't they? If you get this Domino's pizza, or you buy this phone, or you go on this holiday, you can be happy like the people in the advert and escape from the worries of life. And a lot of us end up believing the lie that we'll be truly happy if people think we're funny or attractive, or if we get the best grades in class, or later on in life, we get our dream job, we get married, we get a four-bedroom house, and we go on nice holidays. These things might give us happiness for a short time, but it doesn't last. You're probably wondering what this has got to do with Psalm 16. Well, we'll see that this song shows us where to turn to in difficult times and also gives us a secret to finding happiness and joy that never fades away. So let's turn to Psalm 16. It's on page 549 in the Church Bibles. And you can raise your hand if you'd like the stewards to bring you one. So page 549, Psalm 16. And please do keep the passage open as we look at it together. Let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your words. And we ask that as we come to this passage, you would teach us, you'd give us understanding, and help us to be people who, who delight in you and your word. In Christ's name, amen. So this psalm was, was written by David, an important king for Israel. And David starts off in verse 1 with this desperate plea. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. He's crying out to God to protect him. 
Now, we don't know the specific circumstances, but David's life must have been under threat. You don't ask for help unless you're in danger. Someone was probably trying to hurt him or kill him, and David turns to God and says, keep me safe, for in you I take refuge. He prays to him and really believes that God can save him. I remember when I was in P7, I used to go to golf lessons on a Friday afternoon. I wasn't very good. And on one Friday, I was walking home, and these teenagers, quite a bit older than me, decided to throw some rocks at me and chase me all the way home. And I remember being a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, running all the way up that hill on the way home and deciding to hide under my neighbor's car, hoping they wouldn't find me. I'm not sure why I didn't just go home, but that's where I hid, under my neighbor's car. And the point of, the point of that is this, that in times of trouble, we run to a place of safety. If you're drowning in a stormy sea, you climb into a lifeboat, don't you? And in difficult times, David runs to God to find protection. I realize we're all at different stages with this. You might think that God doesn't really care about your life and your struggles. You might just come to church because your parents make you. You might be taking refuge in your own popularity, your own success, and, and other things that give you a little bit of joy and happiness to escape from life's trials. Well, I want to plead with you tonight, from this psalm, particularly if you're a teenager, to turn to God in times of trouble, not to chase after temporary pleasures, but to delight in God. I don't just want to tell you to be like David. No, we need to see, that, 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 see what it is about God that makes David run to him. This psalm is not about David. It's all about God, and as we'll see, it's actually all about Jesus. It's packed full of words like delight, glad, rejoice, joy, eternal pleasure. And throughout this psalm, we see that David is rejoicing in four things. That, that God is the best thing in his life in verses 2 to 4. His inheritance in verses 5 to 6. That God is his counselor in verses 7 to 8. And his rescuer in verses 9 to 11. David doesn't linger on his tricky circumstances, but he moves on to rejoice that God is the best thing in his life in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Even when people are hunting him down, David recognizes that God is the Lord. He's in charge. He's my Lord, David knows him personally. And he's the most valuable thing in David's life. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, David might not have had much in this difficult season of life when he's on the run from someone who's trying to kill him. But here's the point. That everything he did have, his possessions, his achievements, any money in his bank account counts for nothing when he compares it with the goodness of God. Apart from God, he has no good thing. God is infinitely valuable to him, his most treasured possession above everything else. And because he delights in God, he delights in God's people too. And the same is true for us. 
in difficult times, when people are being mean to us, our health is suffering, or our family doesn't have enough money to get by, and even if you've got lots of things in life, if you're a teenager with a PS5 or a fancy laptop, great friends, a brand new electric guitar, good grades at school, and even as you look ahead in your life and you, you plan to go to uni, get married, get a job, drive a nice car, all these good things are not worth comparing to the best thing that you can have in your life, and that's God. These things might distract you for a time or give you temporary happiness, but only God has the power to help you through suffering and give you joy that lasts. David then talks about the other side of the coin, running after other gods. Verse 4, look with me. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their name on my lips. The word for suffer here can also be translated as sorrow. David is saying that running after other gods just leads to more and more sadness. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to worship them with sacrifices or praise them with my lips. David knows that in difficult times, it can be tempting to turn to idols. And we face the same temptation, don't we? We may not offer blood sacrifices to pagan gods, but as we talked about earlier, we're so quick to turn to other things to make us happy, like trying to make people like us, or buying more stuff. These things so quickly become something we worship in place of God. And they just end up making us feel more and more sad and empty. The only way to find true and lasting joy is in God. The second thing that David rejoices in is that God is his inheritance. Verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He's not talking about a portion of chips or a cup of tea. No, these words portion, lot, inheritance should remind us of the book of Joshua. If you try to remember all the way back to four weeks ago, it wasn't a lot long ago, Ashley will be so encouraged if you can remember his sermon on Joshua 13 to 19. Do you remember what was happening? Well, God had led his people out of slavery through the wilderness for 40 years into the, the promised land in Canaan. And what does each tribe get? They get land. Each tribe gets a plot of land. And that's what David is talking about when he says portion, lot, inheritance. When he sings, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, he's praising God because he's got a good patch of land. He's happy with where God has put the fence between him, him and his neighbor. He's pleased. Now I want you to imagine that you've been left a massive inheritance. Some distant relative in your family's passed away. Maybe it's your grand's cousin's daughter. And a few weeks after the funeral, 
you learn that in their will, they decide to give everything to you. Now, you'd be sad they're not alive, of course, but you'd be also pretty excited to inherit a million pounds, their mansion, and everything else they own. And here's the point. While it's true that David and his family have inherited a portion of land, and that's amazing, he's not just talking about land. There's a deeper meaning. Look what he says. He says, Lord, you alone are my portion of my cup. God is his portion. He's using the idea of inheriting a land as a metaphor to communicate how precious God is to him. God is his delightful inheritance. God is his portion. God is his cup. Think of the delight you'd feel when you find out your relative has left you that massive inheritance. Well, David wants us to see that this is the way we should feel about God. He is our inheritance. Now, just as the Israelites get land as their inheritance in Joshua, Jesus promises a land for those who come to him. In John 14, Jesus promises to prepare a place for us in his father's house. In 1 Peter 1, we learn that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When Jesus comes back, we will receive an amazing inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. But the greatest thing we'll receive is not forgiveness of sin or eternal life, but God himself. We will get to be with God and see him face to face and that future hope and getting a taste of his presence here in this life gives great comfort in difficult times. The Lord alone is my portion and cup. Surely we have a delightful inheritance in him. On to the third reason that David has to rejoice. Because the Lord is his counselor. Verse 7. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David is rejoicing that God is his counselor. The one that teaches him, instructs him, and even disciplines him. He's putting into practice Psalm 1, which talks about the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. In this difficult time, when there's people out to get him, he fixes his eyes on the Lord. And with the Lord by his side, he stands on a firm foundation and won't be shaken. David doesn't get discouraged by his circumstances or or distracted by the world around him because his eyes are always fixed on God and his word. Some of the teenagers here will be learning to drive soon. And some of us will remember that scary experience of learning to drive. Or even worse, teaching someone else. There's an important rule when it comes to driving. You're told time and time again, keep your eyes on the road. As soon as you start looking at your feet, or looking at the beautiful view, or looking at the phone on your lap, things don't go so well. When your eyes are not on the road, the steering wheel starts to turn, 
and you may end up in a field, in a river, or hit into a wall. And just as we need to look at the road while we're driving, we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Lord and his word in difficult times. When we feel weary and burdened, we, we turn to Matthew 11 and read that Jesus has, has promised to give us rest. When we fall out with our, our friends and our family, we turn to Ephesians 4 and we hear his counsel to forgive us as, forgive as he has forgiven us. When we're short of money, we turn to Philippians 4 and ask God to help us learn contentment whatever the circumstances. When we feel abandoned, we can turn to Deuteronomy 31 and remember that God promises to never leave us or forsake us. I need this reminder. We need this reminder. When difficult times come, even this week, Let's be people who open our Bibles and turn the pages to find, find comfort in God's counsel and instruction. The last three verses of the psalm are the climax, where David erupts in praise and joy and hope in God as his rescuer. Verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. David doesn't let anything hold him back. There's joy and gladness in his heart. His whole being rejoices in God because he's confident that God will save him from death. My body will rest secure. No one's going to kill him. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your faithful one see decay. His body's not going to rot like a mushy banana. Even though people are hunting him down, David is able to sing and rejoice because he has 100% certain that God is faithful and will save him from death. But David did eventually die, didn't he? His body will have rotted away by now. Yes, God saved him from his enemies, but he's now in the grave. Well, here's the amazing thing about this psalm. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 2, that's on page 1093 in the church Bibles, and we're going to read from verse 22. So Acts 2, verse 22. And we see Peter, one of Jesus' close followers, giving his first sermon at Pentecost. From verse 22, this is what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This psalm is not just about David and his difficult circumstances. No, Peter says that David is talking about Jesus. Verse 23, people put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But verse 24, God raised him from the dead. Verse 31, Jesus was not abandoned to the realm of the dead and his body didn't see decay. Verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life. Peter is telling us that this psalm is predicting and proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. He didn't stay dead. He didn't rot on the ground. He was raised to life, exalted, and now sits at the right hand of God in heaven. And if we turn back to Psalm 16, and we read that final verse, these words take on a whole new meaning when we see that they're ultimately about Jesus. Verse 11. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Not only was Jesus rescued from death and brought to life, but the Lord Jesus, the Messiah King, is now with God the Father, experiencing the fullness of joy in his presence and pleasure forevermore at God's right hand. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He's there now, delighting in his Father for all eternity. Now that's great news for Jesus. Resurrection, eternal joy at God's right hand. But it's no use to us if we don't get to experience that same joy. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't stingy. He isn't like Scrooge who refuses to share what he has. No, if you come to him, turning from a life of living for yourself and finding joy in things other than God's, there's two massive things that we get to share in. The first thing, his resurrection. If we come to Christ, he will not abandon us to the realm of the dead. Sure, we'll all die, but through Christ we can be raised to life and get new resurrection bodies that don't rot. The second thing, we get to share in his eternal joy. After Christ returns, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth where we'll get to be in God's presence for all eternity. 
The book of Revelation tells us that we'll be singing and rejoicing and praising the Lord Jesus for his salvation and experiencing the joy of being with God forevermore. Now, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, you won't, you won't have that freedom from death and you'll never find true and lasting happiness. But if you come to Christ, turning from your sin, trusting in his death and resurrection, we can know the joy of his salvation. We can have the same confidence as David that he will never abandon us to the realm of the dead. And we can say these words along with Christ. My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Earlier on, we thought about how we respond to difficult situations and what we look to to make us happy. Especially when we're going through suffering, we're so prone to look for happiness in the things of this world. Being liked by people around us, buying more stuff to fill your wardrobe, getting the dream job, or even finding someone to marry. But these things won't ultimately satisfy you. They won't fully make you happy. No, this psalm stirs us to take refuge in God alone, to rejoice in Him alone, and look forward to experiencing true and everlasting joy when we get to be in His presence and see Him face to face. It's a bit like waiting for the summer holidays. If you're at school or you're a teacher, I'm sure you'll have that feeling this week of looking forward to the joy of six or seven weeks with no school and complete freedom. Well, imagine we all had that same almost summer excitement when we think about eternity with God and experiencing eternal pleasures at God's right hand. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are glad and our tongues rejoice because of your salvation. We praise you that you won't abandon us to the realm of the dead, that in Christ we have promised resurrection. You won't let us see decay. And so, Father, we ask, would you help us see people who take refuge in you, who find joy in you alone, and who look forward to fullness of joy in your presence forevermore. In Christ's name, amen.